Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Stay tuned. You can hear how to get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. Like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. This show, Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, began with Entrepreneurs in Mind, a platform for me, a small business owner, and a guest to pay forward our experiential knowledge in a conversational way. As with all new endeavors, it's had some unexpected outcomes, like this show has a wide appeal to everyone, not just business owners, because we're all inspired by everyday people's American-made stories. My guest, Miss Janice Kearney, is no exception. We're going to find out today how this young girl from Gould, Arkansas, became the first presidential diarist in American history to none other than Arkansas's favorite son, President Bill Clinton. Miss Kearney is one of 18 children born in Gould, Arkansas to Ethel and James Kearney. After graduating from Gould High, she attended the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, earning a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism and a master's degree in public administration. Once out of school, Janice pursued her passion for writing by purchasing a newspaper called the Arkansas State Press from Little Rock's famous African-American and civil rights activist, Daisy Bates. She published and managed the paper for five years until being offered a job as the director of minority media outreach for the Clinton-Gore presidential campaign. This career move began her long relationship with President Bill Clinton. After winning the election, she became part of Clinton's transition team, which led to working in the White House Media Affairs Office, which led to being appointed as the Director of Public Affairs and Communications for the U.S. Small Business Administration. Somehow, and we will find out how, in the middle of the Clinton-Gore era, Kearney became the first presidential diarist in U.S. history, chronicling President Clinton's day-to-day life until he left office. Interestingly, her diary was subpoenaed by Kenneth Starr during the Whitewater investigations and revealed no wrongdoing. And with all this insider information, it would be impossible not to author a book, which she did, entitled Conversations, William Jefferson Clinton, From Hope to Harlem. In the last decade, Kearney and her husband, Bob Nash, a former White House Director of Presidential Personnel and son have moved back to Arkansas, where she has started the WOW Publishing Company and the nonprofit Celebrate Maya Angelou Project, which we are going to find out more about today. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the entrepreneur, author, historian, and first presidential diarist, Mrs. Janice Kearney. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, you sound really good. It sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. It's you, good to be here. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. You grew up in Gould, Arkansas. I don't even know where that is. Does anybody know where that is? Southeast Arkansas. It's about 70 miles south of here. Delta? Delta. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, about 30 miles south of Pine Bluff. Most people know where Pine Bluff oh, is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were one of 18, I read. Mm-hmm. All Are all of your siblings successful like you? They're probably more successful. Really? We all, we all you know, decided what we wanted to do really early, and the blessing is that most of us are doing what we dreamed about doing. And most of my brothers ended up lawyers or judges or, you know, something in the law. They, they work in the law. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with growing up down during the pre-civil rights era and experiencing some things that they really wanted to see righted. So they felt like going into the law would be a way to do that. I am the only certified writer in the family, but I was also the, the strangest probably and introvert and writing was my way of expressing myself growing up. What'd your mom and dad do? Farmers, they were sharecroppers. And for your listeners who don't know what sharecroppers are, usually very poor that is kind of a prerequisite but also they leased land from large farm owners and they worked the land and basically we lived off our gardens and from the little that they would make from the land that they leased you grew up doing hard work very hard work did your your mom and dad can they read are they educated my parents were very not 
They didn't go to college. They didn't go to high school. My mother went to eighth grade. My dad went to school when he could. My dad is one of those people who lived an amazing life. He left home when he was 11. But somehow they were very intelligent, very good readers. They loved reading, and they instilled education into us very, very early. As a matter of fact, before early education became real, my father taught us all to read and write and count before we went to, to school, to public school, every I, one of us. I bet you didn't have a TV in your house. We did. We did. We did have a little 12-inch black and white TV in but, our house. But were your evenings filled with y'all sitting around reading or sitting around watching Reading, doing homework uh, mostly, and a lot of chores. And we could watch TV on weekends usually. You, yeah, you just didn't have time to sit around and no, do nothing. No, 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 no. Um, you got your first degree in journalism, mm -hmm. and then you re-enrolled for a master's in public administration. Why? Well, because I knew that journalism was not going to be something that paid a lot of money. It's something that I loved. Uh, so I did work in journalism, but kind of part-time. I ended up working for the state of Arkansas, and I used my journalism degree to become a public information director, public affairs director for the state of Arkansas. And I did that for about nine years. And then in 1987 is when I left state government and went to work for Daisy Bates. So did you think when you were in school, so you think you felt like journalism was not going to pay very much money. So you went into public admi uh, administration and were you thinking I'll go into government? Were you, how, did you have no, that in mind? I didn't really think about going into government, but that's the jobs that were available at the time. That was in the late 70s. And so then, you, were you was that in Fayetteville? And no, that you, I came back to Little Rock. I went to school job. in Fayetteville, but I came back to Little Rock. And took the, mm -hmm. and took the government job. Mm -hmm. And then you decided, I'm going to buy a newspaper. That's well, a pretty big decision. <laughs> and it really didn't work like that. It, what happened was that um, a friend of mine told me that Daisy Bates needed a managing editor. And I felt like it was something in the stars or God or someone telling me, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be working for, for government all your life because my love has always been writing. So I went and interviewed with Daisy Bates and I told her, I had met her when I was 16 years old and I interviewed for a job as a clerk, just a summer clerk, and I didn't get the job because I couldn't type. Not good enough for her anyway. So uh, when I went to see her, I told her, you did not give me that job when I was 16, and I really think you should do it now. And <laughs> she did. She gave me the job as her managing editor. Three months later, she came in and said, I'm retiring, I'm going home. She was sick. She had had lots of strokes by then, and she really couldn't talk very well. So she was going home. She retired, and she was going to sell the newspaper to somebody. She had been interviewing people, and I didn't even know what was going on. So I was just devastated because I knew I was supposed to be there. Uh, so I went home and talked to my husband and came back and said, Mrs. Bates, would you sell this newspaper to my husband and me, and we can pay you half of, of what, it's, what you're asking, and then we pay the rest you know, month to month. And she allowed me to do that. So I purchased the newspaper from her on time, as they say. On time, what's that mean? That's you pay it off from month um, to month. Oh, on time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you, you're now owning, you've worked for for three months. You're now owning a newspaper. It's, is, it, is it harder than you ever thought it would be? It was harder than chopping cotton and picking cotton. <laughs> and I grew up doing that. And that was very, very hard. Uh, because it was all on me. And I don't know how much you know about newspapers, but it's kind of a transient uh, role for people who work for newspapers. They don't usually stay there very long. So you're constantly bringing people in, which means you're going to end up doing a lot of the work yourself. I had to learn so much that I didn't know about newspaper work. It was very, very hard. My son was then... Uh, early teens, 12, 13, whatever. My husband and I broke up, so I'm a single mother with a young son and... Um, and a small business owner. And a small business owner. Of a very and, competitive business. Yeah, a very hard, hard business, for, for uh, especially for the African-American community. How'd you do it? I just 
worked constantly, constantly um, worked all night, many nights. Uh, I lived it. What was uh, your strength? Uh, my strength was growing up with family or parents that taught us that you never say never, that whatever you commit to, you do it, you find a way to do it. And um, that hard work basically is character building. What, so I knew that I was doing the right thing. What was your weakness? What did you feel like you could have done better, that you, that you felt really out of your comfort zone? Um, just not being able to bring in people that would stay. And I know that is one of the things about small newspapers. You just can't do that. But that uh, bringing in people and then they stay for a little bit and then they leave. So I think just not being able to have the time or the resources to bring in really good people. So that it could, wasn't the writing, it wasn't the publishing, it was the managing of people. That's, yeah. a, that, that's a bitch, I'll just tell you right yeah. now. Uh, so it was the managing of people uh-huh. and, the, and the constant, you never leave work. Yeah. You never yeah. leave work, it's yeah. always there. Yeah. And you're under a deadline with the newspaper. Oh, wow, yes. So did, da- did Daisy Bates not help you out much? Yes, she did. How she, long did she stay after she, she sold stayed it to on. You? She stayed on for about a year. Oh, that's cool. And so she helped me out a lot. But she was sickly. She was sickly. There was just so much she could do. But uh, just being there and telling me some things that I wouldn't have known if she hadn't been there, believing in me, all of that was very, very helpful. And I wouldn't have stayed if she, she didn't stay with me for at least that year. Was there a time you thought I bit off more than I can chew? Oh, yeah. You wake up. I, I'd wake up and think that at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I knew I had to go back. <laughs> it's that three o'clock morning wake up call. <laughs> what am I doing? Yes, I had those. So this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Miss Janice Kearney, author, historian, and entrepreneur, and the first presidential diarist in U.S. history. We'll dig into her life at the White House during the Clinton years, and we'll find out what she's up to now. She's still moving and shaking. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. If you miss any part of the show or want to learn more about Up In Your Business, go to FlagAndBanner.com and click on Radio Show, or subscribe through your favorite podcast application. We're everywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Miss Janice Kearney, author, entrepreneur, historian, and first presidential diarist in U.S. history to none other than Arkansas's favorite son, William Jefferson Clinton. So for those that are just tuning in, uh, Janice has graduated from college, was a, was a sharecropper as a child, grew up in a family of sharecroppers in Gould, Arkansas, has graduated from college, moved to Little Rock, ended up buying the Arkansas State Press newspaper from a famous woman and uh, activist, Daisy Bates. And now Daisy Bates has retired and you're buying the newspaper from her. Um, You get a job offer Mm -hmm. to become the director of minority media outreach for the Clinton Gore presidential campaign. And you've got to decide if you're going to stay with the newspaper. You've been you've been doing it for five years. So you can say to yourself, (laughs) I've done it. And I think you said Daisy's moved. Mm-hmm. Did she move to Chicago? Where'd she move? No, she lo- she stayed. She stayed in Little Rock, but she went home. She did not continue. Mm-hmm. She moved earlier in her, in her life. What's the thing that you love the most about Daisy Bates? I'm fascinated by that woman. I never did. I think I met her once, maybe. Yeah. I think her truth and her uh, willingness to speak truth to power. I, I love that about her because that reminded me of my own parents. I mean... You just say what needs to be said, and you hope that someone's listening. And she, that carriage of hers, I think that's what I love most. What was that newspaper? What was the name of the newspaper? Arkansas State Press. Yeah. What was its theme? Was it local news? Was it African-American news? It was, was it? local news. Um, and, of course, when she and her husband owned it in the 40s and 50s, it was specifically African-American news and what was going on not only in Arkansas, but around the country. Because they, yeah, they were one of the most noted newspapers in the South. So cool. And Mm -hmm. we didn't have the internet. How did they even get that kind of information? I don't know. Word of mouth. I mean, there was a network. A network of newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've decided to take this job and you're going to, is Daisy still alive when you decide? Oh, yeah. Did did you sell it or did you close it? No. In 
1993, when I left Little Rock and went to Washington, D.C., um, my sister took over. Oh. She ran the newspaper uh, a few years after I'd left. Um, so I didn't leave the newspaper completely when I took on the role as minority media coordinator. For the campaign. Right. And it wasn't a full, it was a full-time job, but it, I still did the newspaper. I would leave that job and go to the newspaper and work. Hard worker. Yeah. So um, it wasn't until December, I think, that I decided that I was going to Washington, D.C., and people don't believe me when I tell them I was not that excited about going to Washington, D.C., uh, because I was leaving everything I knew and what was important to me. And you're an introvert. Yes, definitely. And I heard all the, the stuff about Washington, D.C., and how you had to be a certain way, and you had to you know, live up to certain things, and I just wasn't real excited about that. So you've made the decision to leave. Mm -hmm. Is your sister okay? You're leaving the paper with her. Mm -hmm. You're moving. I mean, thank you, Ross Perot. If he hadn't ran and made it a three-way that, right. that, you know, our favorite son wouldn't have gotten elected. You're like, oh, my gosh, he's elected. All right. Right. He's governor from Arkansas. You're, yeah. you're moving up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was quite a transition from Arkansas to Washington, D.C., and I thought... How old was your son? My son at that time was going off to college. That was the first year that he went to college that year. Um, so I didn't worry as much about him being at home and me worrying about that, but he was in college at that point. Um, but it was a transition because it was just as different from Arkansas as I had heard, and I was very unhappy for those first few months. Did you close the paper? No, I didn't close the paper until... We closed the paper in 1998, I think. And my sister just, she had done a great job, but it wasn't in her vein well, like it was in me. In 98 is about when the internet came on in 95. That was when everybody was mm -hmm. like, newspapers are folding, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. thought it was going to be a dying industry. Of course, they found yeah. out since then it's not. Yeah, now, thank God, mm -hmm. it's not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she, she, she did her very, very best and did a great job, but it just wasn't in the cards. So talk about the transition team of mm -hmm. going up there. You were on the transition team for the Clinton for Clinton, along mm -hmm. with my mother-in-law, Anne McCoy, yes. who we've had on the show. Yes. Talk about how what, you, what was the first thing you did? Well, the first thing we did, I, don't need, I can't even really remember that first week or so because we were all getting ready for that inauguration. I know Anne has told you about that. It was work, work, work. So uh, I recall that I did not go to the first inauguration because we were so wiped out. You didn't go to the inauguration? No, no. I went to the second one, but I did not because I was just so exhausted. I didn't know there were two. Yeah, when he was reelected. Oh, I see yes. what you mean. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really hard. But the first, th the thing I remember most is going up to the gate to go into the White House on January 20th. And that was something I'll never forget. Had you been there before? Never. Okay. Never. Uh -huh. So what does a transition team do? Like, I know that Gran went up, Gran Ann went up way before uh -huh. and started looking at, the, she saw the White House before the Clintons did uh -huh. to find out where their furniture would go and where she could uh -huh. put their clothes and stuff. So what did, what was your role? My role was to work with press. Oh. So we started already sending things out to press. They had lots of questions about, you know, the new administration. So I worked with that. And um, also we just did a lot of things in preparation for the inauguration. So the white, so you were the White House Media Affairs Office. Yeah, basically. I was part of that. Yes, mm -hmm. we, like I said, we worked with the press all over the country and from other countries as well. And nobody knows who Bill Clinton is. Mm -hmm. They're like, who is this guy? Right. I think right. I, I think he was mowing the lawn on the White House one time. <laughs> They're like, what president mows the lawn? Is that true? I never heard that one. <laughs> what an urban legend. We did have a, a picnic. We had several picnics there and had watermelon and different things that people eat in, in, in Arkansas. In the South? Yeah, yeah, because Hope, remember? Yeah, he's from he's Hope. From Hope. He's so they sent up a whole bunch of watermelons because that's... Can you not get watermelon, watermelon in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, but that's the capital. Hope is the watermelon capital, that's right. remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah so. you get the good watermelon yeah. down here. 
So you, how long were you in the White House Media Affairs Office? And is that on the, that's on the West Wing, I guess. That is actually in OEOB. What's that? The Media Affairs Office. That is the big, beautiful building that is part of the White House. And most people are in the OEOB, the executive office. But um, I worked there in media affairs. I did that for just a few months before I was appointed to the Small Business Administration. And I was at Small Business Administration for two and a half years. And when I left there, I came back as the diarist. And I was in the West Wing when I came back. So I didn't know there was another, what do you call it, EEOB? OEOB. OEOB. Uh-huh. What's that stand, stand for? Office of, of O-E- Executive. I, yeah, I don't I'll, know. I'll have OEOB. To I'll have to remember that. OEOB. It's O-E-O-B. a beautiful building. So you so why did you leave there and go to the SBA and become the let's see you were the director of public affairs and communications for the US Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. did you leave that job to go to the other one? Was it a move up? It was a move up, definitely. It was an appointment. It was a it was um like you're two or three levels down from the administrator uh and you're running the communications part of the the national office. So if I remember correctly, people are kind of, everybody that was very supportive in any election goes with, you know, the transition team. And then it's the president's job to fill all these positions Mm -hmm. with people. So is that kind of what he was doing is he was trying to give you a good job because you'd been helping here in Arkansas for so long? Well, I, I guess you could say that. But really, he had little knowledge of jobs day to day. Um, there were people in the personnel office that we worked with, and they helped move people around, put people where they felt like they could be most helpful. Oh, so it really didn't have anything to do. So it didn't really have much to do with the president. You were just filling slots because people change after administrations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, who's our president now? Trump? He doesn't have all the slots filled. No. Is it? I mean, I don't know that that's a good or a bad thing. I have no idea. So maybe he just doesn't know a lot of people favors. I don't know. Or have many followers or... Well, I wouldn't think it was a good thing. You wouldn't? Yeah, but I'm not a policy person. But I would think that you need people to do a lot of things, especially when there's so much going on yeah. in the world today. Yeah. You know, but it does cut down on the budget, I guess. So I want to learn all about how you ended up back at the White House as the first presidential diarist. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ms. Janice Kearney, entrepreneur, author, historian, and first presidential diarist in U.S. history. We will dig into her life at the White House during the Clinton years, and we'll find out what she's up to now with her WOW publishing company and nonprofit Celebrate Maya Project. Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. McCoy began this broadcast a year and a half ago with the intention of offering a mentoring platform for those with an entrepreneurial spirit. Through candid conversation and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life, mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. This unique radio show allows the listener intimate access into the stories of prominent leaders in our state. I am Adrienne McNally, manager of the Arkansas Flag and Banner Showroom and Gift Shop, located on the first floor of the historic Taborian Hall on the corner of 9th and State Streets in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. In business for 43 years, we offer an old school shopping experience with front door parking, clerks to help you, and department store variety open to the public Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30, and Saturday, 10 to 4. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Janice Kearney, author, historian, and first presidential diarist in U.S. history to none other than Arkansas's favorite son, William Jefferson Clinton. If you're just tuning in, you might want to be caught up with where we are. We're talking to Janice Kearney. She's uh, Fayetteville. She's 
was born in Gould, Arkansas. She graduated from Fayetteville with a master's in public relations and a, and a BA in uh, journalism. She ran a, a successful newspaper in Little Rock. She's a part of the Clinton campaign, has moved to Washington in the transition team. She's now working for the SBA, and all of a sudden she gets a game changer, and she's now invited to become the first presidential diarist in U.S. history. Tell us how that came to be. Okay. At, when I learned about his interest in hiring someone to become the presidential diarist, I was working at the U.S. Small Business Administration. And um, Nancy Hernreich, I don't know whether you know Nancy. I know Nancy. But Nancy um, called and asked, you know, would I like to interview for that job? And I said yes. And so we went back and forth. We, I interviewed with it, and she gave me things that I needed to, to look over and ask her questions about and all of that. And, of course, many people were interviewing at the same time. So I, you know, I didn't think I probably would get it, but she called me um, in December, I think, of 1994 and told me that I had the job. So when did you interview? Uh, I interviewed in the fall, so it took a little a, bit of the fall and so the winter. So it took a couple of months. Yeah, it took several months before. So you probably thought I didn't get the job. Yeah, yeah, I really did. Did you have to come back for a second interview? Yeah, I did more than, at least two. I maybe, maybe did three because well, they, there were lots of people. They were serious. Yes. So you found out, you run home, you jump up and down, you're yeah. all excited, yeah. and then you report to work. What's your first day like? Um, my first day was just kind of learning, um, you know, little things about where I'd be sitting. I, I sat down, I sat like three doors down from the president's office. So you're in the West Wing. I was in the West Wing. I uh, talked to, spent a lot of time talking to Nancy because nobody had ever held, held this job. So we had to kind of create what my role would be uh, from day to day. So we spent several, we, we may have spent about a week or so going over that and figuring it out and how would I, uh, you know, talk to the president or find out what the president was doing and all of that. So we, it took a little while. Because now, I mean, there's a difference between being a governor and a president. Oh, I, yeah. He was very approachable as a governor, but when he became president, everything changed. Yes, yes, it was different, definitely. I mean, Secret Service everywhere, and, you know, you couldn't just go up and talk to the president whenever you wanted to, even though you worked in the White House. It, it, it just wasn't happening. Okay, so now you've figured out what you're going to do. What is that? You're going to show up every day? You, did you always work in the West Wing, or did you go to the East Wing when he was brushing his teeth? And go, he brushed <laughs> his teeth at 8 o'clock this morning. He got the newspaper at 6 o'clock. No, all of my work was um, either in the West Wing or when there was something official going on somewhere else. East Wing, OEOB, if he went to a, another agency and did something. So you were part of the entourage? Sometimes I was, yes, very often. I mean, you would have to be. Yeah. Wouldn't you? I, w I was most of the time, but I didn't have to be because there were times when he traveled to other countries that I did not go. Oh, you didn't? No, there were times. So what happened during those times were there were people that worked with him. Uh, there was one young man uh, named Chris Inskov who was his body person. He he was there wherever the president went, and he gathered all of the information that the president gathered when he when he traveled. Chris was part of our team, our group, so he would come back and he would sit down and share everything with me that I was not there to to witness or see for myself. So I would sit down when I'm not traveling with him. I would catch up on my diary because the diary might be 40 pages long from one day to the next based really? on what President Clinton was doing. Really? Yeah, yeah. So when he was traveling and I was not with him, I would spend that time catching up on... Transcribing yeah, what you wrote. Yeah, transcribing everything, because I could not use a tape recorder. Why? I, oh, because you know... Tapes, no. Yeah. So I, I wrote everything longhand, and I would have to come back and transfer that to my computer, which was dedicated just to my diary. Wow, did... Why do you think you got that job? Well, he knew me, and he knew he he knew that I was a writer, and um, I think that was a big part of it. Um, he knew my family very well. Um, he did. And, and I, oh yeah, he worked with several of my brothers. 
But the thing was that he had to feel comfortable. Whoever that was, it had to be somebody that he felt comfortable with. Well, this is radio, so people, unless you're watching on Facebook, can't see that you have a lovely demeanor. Uh, I can see why he would feel comfortable with you. And you're, like you said, you're uh, kind of an introvert, so you're not trying to steal the show from uh-uh. me. Like, I'd have been stealing the show. You know, I'd been talking <laughs> over the president or something, you know. that would have been like, shut that girl up over there. But, but yeah, I, I, I think that was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could be the fly on the wall. I think one mm-hmm. reporter called me the White House fly on the wall. I could go to meetings and sit at the back of the, the room and just take notes and not, you know, try to make anyone pay any attention to me. I didn't know the president had a, a, a almost like a valet that follows him everywhere around. Right, right. And we actually called him um, uh, Butt Boy. Butt Boy. <laughs> what butt a nice boy. name. <laughs> and you know, I've never heard Butt Boy's name before. What did you say his name was? Well, there were several during oh. the White House, but the one that we worked with the longest was Chris Inscoff, who I've was from of him. Northeast Arkansas, Northwest really? Arkansas. Yeah, he's a from. young man, I guess, with no family. At the time, no, he didn't. He mm-hmm. didn't. Because you kind of, you have to devote 24-7 to the White House. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Um, your uh, Your diary was subpoenaed by Kenneth Starr during mm-hmm. the Whitewater investigations. Mm-hmm. Were you frightened? Frightened and nervous. Yeah, I was. And not only that, but I was subpoenaed. I had to testify. Oh. Uh, because of what I was doing, because of my role. So um, that was what I call the dark period of, of my era in the White House. Uh, for a lot of us. Yeah. For a lot of us, we had to go through that. Um, but on the other side... Uh, we felt really good about working for that president and felt felt like he did some amazing things as president. So we went through that and we still kept going. Why was that why was that Kenneth Starr investigation so I mean Whitewater was only an eighty thousand dollar real estate deal. We spent how much did the country spend on that? Millions. Millions. Yeah. And it was the whole the whole thing was eighty thousand dollars. It was an eighty thousand dollar loan. Nobody even knows that. They're like Whitewater. And you're like, what mm-hmm. you ask people what it is and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, we we asked that same question, but I don't think we ever got an answer. So what sticks in your mind from that time in your White House? What's your favorite memory of that time? Oh, there were just so many and I'm always asked that, but I, I think Oh you it, are. Yeah. But I, I think the time that is most memorable is seeing President Clinton and um, Nelson Mandela become friends, how that friendship kind of evolved and how Nelson Mandela came to his um, defense during that really dark period. And they just kind of gelled and he would come over and it was just wonderful to watch these amazing, huge personalities become friends. Um, So that was just, for me to see Nelson Mandela, that was amazing. And we got a chance chance to go to Africa and become a part of the whole uh, little bubble that President Clinton and Mrs. Clinton took with them and was able to meet Nelson Mandela and his family and do the state dinner over there. That was uh, just an amazing experience for me. I wish people could see your face. You're about to tear up over it. <laughs> it You're about to make one, me tear up over it. It was a wonderful, it. wonderful experience. And you, you see these two great men that you really, to me, it was two great human beings. Um, really believing in people. Really wanting to make the world better for everyone. How do you keep believing in people when you have so much obstacles? I don't understand. I don't know how you Some do that. Some people have those kind of hearts, those big hearts. Mm-hmm. Let me just tell everybody um, who we're talking with. We're li- you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Janice Kearney, author, entrepreneur, historian, and first presidential diarist to U.S. President, Arkansas favorite son, William Jefferson Clinton. We both just got kind of choked up over that last <laughs> thing. <laughs> So he's uh, out of office. You've moved back to Little Rock. Did you meet your husband up there? No, I've known Bob Nash for years and years. He was in politics for a long time. He worked for Bill Clinton forever. Um, when I was working for state government, he was with Bill Clinton, so I met him during those years. But he's not your first husband. He's not my first husband. Did you end up, do you have another son? 
I have one son, and oh, yeah. Bob has one son. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And Bob has a daughter, so together we have three children. Well, I read, I think in your bio, that you and Bob and your son moved back. Or do I have that wrong? Uh, yeah, that's, that's... That's not right? Yeah, we moved back together. <clears throat> oh, mm-hmm. you did? Mm-hmm. So Bob Nash and you are working together at the White House. Mm-hmm. Is that when you kindled your relationship? We started dating right before that. We started dating in the really, really early 90s, 92, I think, one. During the campaign, I guess. Yes, during the campaign, right before the campaign. And we moved together when we moved to Washington, D.C., and we got married in 1994. Okay, while Mm -hmm. you were up there. Yes, while we were there. So what made you decide to move back to Little Rock? Oh, I, I would always come back to Little Rock, Arkansas is home. And my father was still living my father is someone I talk about a lot because um, my mother died when in 1982, so I became my father's caretaker, which was one of the big reasons I really wasn't excited about leaving. Oh, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's right during the Clinton yeah, years. Yeah, but my father is just an amazing human being, and that would take a whole other show to talk about, but I think a lot of, of me comes from him. I mean, the nice, nice part for me probably comes from my mother, but the kind of quirky part and the kind of um, dreamy part and the part that loves to write and the stories part, all of that comes from my dad. Why so, do you keep calling yourself quirky? It's twice you said <laughs> I am. Uh, but you my, don't seem quirky to me. <laughs> my dad was just amazing. My dad lived until he was 107 <gasps> and he just died in 2014. So that was my main impetus for coming back to Arkansas when I came back. Because when I came back, he was turning 100. That's unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I was just so blessed that I was able to spend a lot of years with him uh, when I came back to Arkansas. I want to be good like that. I want my kids to love me that much when I'm 100 years old. Oh, I'm sure they will. That's a really nice story. What, What... And then we'll move on to your career. What is it you love about your dad so much? He's just not like anybody I've ever met. And you asked if he was educated. Educated in school, no. But my dad was the wisest man I know on this earth. Uh, I used to tell Bill Clinton, I said, you are one of the best storytellers I've ever met, but you are number two. And he said, who? Who's better than me? I say my dad. My dad was an amazing storyteller, and that's where I fell in love with stories. And writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you've moved back, and you started uh, a publication. Is that the first thing you did when you moved back? You started WOW Publication or Actually, not? Actually, I started WOW Publishing when I was in Chicago. My husband and I moved to Chicago. Oh, after Washington, you moved mm-hmm. to Chicago. We moved to Chicago. We lived there for seven years, and that's where I started my writing. Uh, Because I knew once I left the White House, that's what I'd do for the rest of my life. So I started there, and that's when I wrote my first book, which which is a memoir. What is that book? Cotton Field of Dreams. Cotton Field of Dreams. Um, Oh, that's a pretty cover. And it's all about Facebook. That's a pretty cover. uh, Growing up. In in Gould, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. You and Maya Angelou. Yeah. No wonder y'all have got it. No wonder you're kindred (laughs) sisters. That's right. So um, that's what I did. That's your first book. And. Yes, and this is the second book, uh, Something to Write Home About, is actually about my years as a personal diarist to President Clinton. But that's not the one that... This one, Conversations, is about Bill Clinton. It's actually a book that I started. I got a fellowship to Harvard to start this book, to start my research. Oh, look at those pictures. Start my interviews, and I went all over the country and interviewed people to talk about his legacy as a leader, but also the legacy, his race relations legacy. Yeah, he had a great one. Because I, when I was in Washington, D.C., I would have people who said, oh, he can't be real. This man is not real. He, he just started this because he's a politician. I said, no, no. that's not true. Mm-mm. So I thought, well, why don't I go and talk to people and let them tell stories? And that's what that is, a book of stories and conversations about Bill Clinton. From childhood on. Well, that's three really big books. Mm-hmm. They look like they're 300 or more pages. No, they're 200. And that one may be 300. Um, how long does it take you? Yeah, this one's 400 pages, okay. honey. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet this one's 300, too. It's probably 200. 
Uh, so I'm just going to find out here. So how long does it take to write a book? 320. So you I don't forget. even know. So I uh, <laughs> I let's see. Writing. Let's see what this one is. <laughs> 335. <laughs> All right. She doesn't even know what she's writing. <laughs> I, I, I can't read books this thick. Although I have just read, well, we're going to talk about some, we're going to talk about Maya Angelou uh-huh. in a minute, but um, how long does it take you to write a book like this? That book, because I started, that very first book, Cotton Field of Dreams, I started when I was high school, college. So, I, and then you put it down and then you start back. back. Yeah. So that one took a long time. Other books take about uh, two years, I bet year and a half to two years. It, this kind of a book that takes a long time, Cotton Field of Dreams by Janice Kearney, that looks like something I would really like to read because it took a long time. It's mm-hmm. really probably got your heart in it. It does. I it may really have to. You, is it on book on tape? Um, no, oh, it's not. You're going to have to. You've got a lovely <laughs> voice. You're going to have to read your book. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so then you started. Um, publishing company because you wanted to publish your own books yes. why so you moved back so you left chicago after seven years you moved back to little rock i guess because bob nash's job ran out i don't know no actually when i moved back bob was working for uh hillary clinton when she was running for president oh okay yeah he was it, working for her. where was he living to do that dc so y'all weren't living together no he went there and i came back that's the here. perfect marriage <laughs> <laughs> even married a little long <laughs> is he here now he is oh and y'all are still together uh-huh. oh well good <laughs> <laughs> so um so he comes so you 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 come back to little rock mm-hmm. and he's up helping hillary mm-hmm. okay and he stayed in dc for a few years after that because he'd started working so i st- i was here spending time with my dad uh-huh. and i and i think i did a little part-time work but I was writing mostly. That's so when did you saying. decide to start, start the WOW Publishing Company? I started it shortly after we moved to Chicago in 2000. Oh. About 2002 or three. Yeah. So it's mostly an online publication then. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the purpose for starting that? I started it to publish my books. Okay. That, that's the basic thing that I started doing. But once I started writing, a lot of people would meet me and they tell me they wanted to write books. So I ended up starting to write other people's books. So I'm also a ghostwriter for for other. Is this people. yours? I went online and Googled up Wow Publication Books with Reality. Is that you, or is that another Wow Publication? I couldn't find your name anywhere on that. No, that's. Do not you have me. an online website? I do. What's it's the, called Wow Publishing. W O W Publishing. Mm-hmm. That's what this one is too. You're going to have to take that with you. You can go look up and see who's got that. I'll take that with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, so if people want to get in touch to publish books or to talk to you, do they go to what's wow the, what Publishing. www.wowpublishing.org. Dot org. Mm-hmm. And see, that one's got a PVT, mm-hmm. www.publishingpvt. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means. I don't either. Um, so they can go there and there's contact information mm-hmm. or do you want to give out your email? Sure. I can give them my email. Okay. Janice, J-A-N-I-S at wildpublishing.org. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Janice at wildpublishing.org. And we'll have all her uh, contact information on flagandbanner.com if you click on radio show. And this interview will be uploaded next week after um, we get the podcast cleaned up, mm-hmm. get all my mistakes out. Um, can, and I, you, can I make a, a yes. correction on one thing? Yes, please do. I did. Um, I got 30 hours toward my master's in public administration. I did not graduate. You are guilt-ridden. No, well, I always try to make sure people know that. Nobody cares. <laughs> but I, I like to say that. You just um, want to make it. She just She's the honest, most honest person in the world. There you, know, you like, go. I just want to make it clear. But, but um, I did. Uh, Almost. Almost. That's good enough. Very close. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. Nobody's checking the records. Um, you also have started a nonprofit that I have actually heard of before I met you. Uh-huh. Um, tell us what it is. Celebrate Maya. The Celebrate Maya Project. And we started it in 2014, uh, just shortly after Maya Angelou passed away. And we did it because... She was not being recognized in Arkansas by anybody. Isn't that unbelievable? I've no, noticed that too. Yeah. And we said, this cannot be. Something's I mean, not right. She spent so much of her time, her early years here. So I just got with a group of women and said, let's do something. And we did this amazing day of remembrance down in Stamps, Arkansas. 
And I have to credit the mayor of Stamps at the time, who was so instrumental in making sure that happened. Because she's from Stamps, Arkansas. She's from Stamps. And if you, listeners, if you have not read uh, why the, what's it, Why the Cage Bird Sings? I know Why the Cage Bird Sings. I know Why the Cage Bird Sings. It's fabulous. I just picked it up in March, Black History Month this year, for again, for the first time in 10 years, and reread it, and I don't even read. (laughs) And it is so incredibly good. And it is on tape, too. You can hear it. You can listen to it. Oh, I bet she reads it probably <laughs> yes. with that lovely voice yes. of her. Yes. You're exactly right. People do not recognize her. I didn't even know she was from Arkansas till probably not very long mm-hmm. ago, you know, mm-hmm. five years ago mm-hmm. maybe, and was like, why do we not have her on billboards, and why is it not the Maya state? She's just unbelievable. Yes, yes. So we're trying to change that a well, little I bit. Well, I thank you very yes. much. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of your organization. I would love for you to be a part. I'll I- make sure you get all our information. Good. <laughs> that is so good of you. So we're very excited. We we celebrated her 90th birthday this year, and we had a wonderful luncheon. And the woman who did the documentary that you saw. On AETN. Yes. Mm. She came and spoke, and it was wonderful. because Where's she, she from? She is from Chicago, uh-huh. but she was a very good friend of Maya's. So she was able to talk about all these different I can't know, believe I didn't get to go. Yeah, well... You'll next come to time. the next time. I'll come yeah. to the next time. That's, that's, that's too bad. Um, so why should people read Conversations with William Jefferson Clinton from Hope to Harlem? Well, if you don't know him, you will learn some amazing things about him. Um, you'll learn some things about him when he was a child, why he may have ended up the way that he is. Um, you'll learn about his childhood. You'll learn about his grandfather, who he credits with making him the kind of person that he is. Mm-hmm. His grandfather owned a store down in Hope, Arkansas, and he, he talked about how his grandfather told him, you never treat people differently because of whatever, mm-hmm. the color or what they have. Education, yeah. color. So he, he credited his grandfather with that. You just learn a lot about him, and you learn that he did some really amazing things as far as race relations that no other leader had done before. He put more African Americans in um, in in yeah. in the in Washington in. But before that, he did it in Arkansas. He made oh. sure that there were diversity, women and people of color, on every board and commission. Why do people get mad about that? I don't know why they get mad. Why would they get mad about that? I don't that? understand <laughs> it. They're threatened, I guess, by it mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Because I don't understand why that's not more celebrated. Right, right. It should be. Mm-hmm. So we've already told people how they get in touch with you. Janice at wowpublishing.com. Dot org. Dot org. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, what do you think is your motivation to keep you doing stuff all the time? Because um, you've done a lot. My, my, my parents, I'm all, I guess I'm always trying to make them proud. Uh, because they made me so proud, and they just sacrificed so much for us. Um, they were amazing parents, and I think that's why I do what I do. You think that you've done that, instilled that in your children? Because that generation, mm-hmm. you know, my parents were, you know, the World War II generation, mm-hmm. Depression generation. Mm-hmm. They sacrificed. They gave so much. They set these great standards for us. Right. But I'm not sure that I'm able to do that because I don't live in that time. So, how- but I, I, there's no question you do that because you're living, you're you're showing them by example. You may not sit them down and talk about it, mm-hmm. but your example that teaches them. Yeah, but I can't do the examples that that the hard like your parents were sharecroppers. I mean, you can't show. But you don't that. have to be a sharecropper to teach good quality values. You don't have to be that. If you could tell yourself something today, if, 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 if what you know today, if you could tell it to yourself 20 years ago, what would that be? It would be... That's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Something. Probably follow your dreams, no matter what. Um, and I think I've done that to a certain extent, but I probably could have done it even more. Be more trusting. Mm-hmm. You do seem like you follow your heart a lot. That you're not afraid to say, you know, I don't really want to go to Washington, <laughs> but I feel like this is where God is sending me. This is where my life's path is. This is where I'm supposed to go. Well, you know what? My dad told me I had to go because right before I went, I went down and talked to him and said, "Dad, they they're asking me if I want to go to Washington D.C." And he said, "How can you not go? You have to go. I mean, your mom and I sacrificed all those years. You have to go." How can you turn something like that down? That's exactly what Anne McCoy's 
Mother Hazel said to her, mm-hmm. she said, when you come home, I will probably be dead, mm-hmm. but you have to go. Yeah. Because Anne went to her mother, who was aged older, and said, Mother, I've been offered this job, but I don't want to leave because you're 86 right. or something. Exactly. And, and she said, you have to go. Mm-hmm. You cannot stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, she came back, and her mother was still alive when she came home. Yeah. My dad loved it. I think it kept him alive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it did, too. So I love that. I don't have to ask you who uh, most inspired you in life. It's your father. But give me one word to sum you up. Dreamer. I think it is. You said dream about 10 times. <laughs> if you didn't say it, I was going to say it for you. Listen, here's your gift for coming on. You've got a U.S. Oh. and an Arkansas flag a desk set for your... Thank you. You're welcome. I should have put Chicago it. on there, I guess. I didn't know <laughs> no, you. No, these are the best ones. That's where your roots are, right That's there. Right. Gould, Thank Arkansas, you so and in Washington, D.C., United States. Thank you for coming on. Thank I have you enjoyed. for asking me. You are so welcome. Thank you. You're a special person. Um, who have we got? Who's our guest next week? Tim? Next week's just going to be our next... Nessa Bennett. You know, she's a life coach and a motivational speaker. I met her when I went and spoke to the Salvation Army, a group of women at the Salvation Army who do great work. Salvation Army is a great organization. They asked me to come for a luncheon to talk to them. And this woman was the head of the Salvation Army volunteers or something. I don't know. But she's very motivational, and she's a really neat chick. So I'll be interested to talk with her and get motivated. She's going to motivate us, pump us up. All right. I'm ready to be pumped up. So uh, if you have a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org. That's questions with an S. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. If you'd like to hear this program again, next week a podcast will be made available online with links to resources you heard discussed to today's show. Carrie's goal? To help you live the American dream.